0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to the 4th Down Focus. I am Coach Dan Lundy, creator of the podcast and founder of 4th Down University. A company focused on the training and development of kickers, punters, and snappers at all levels. Today's show is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network and Bet Online. The NFL is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can certainly be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and point totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager now than anywhere else online. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Episode twelve of the podcast is focused on strength and performance and how specialists can gain an edge. Our guest today is Coach Bobby O'Mullen. He is the director of strength and performance for Fourth Down U, and he's the founder of Body by Bobby a personal training center in Orlando, servicing athletes from international women's soccer players to the UCF football program. Bobby, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Dan, I'm doing well. Glad to be on the show this week. Uh, I got a little time between clients today, so I was glad we were able to make this work.
0: We are honored to have you first first guest we've had that's going to actually talk about the most important thing is sustainability, keeping the body in alignment, you know, just keeping it keeping it in tune, keeping it uh, responsive to to this high level of, of performance. We expect these athletes to 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 be at for a, for a long period of time, sometimes like six months before we get really into the to the content, Bobby, I'd like you to give the audience a little more of your background, perhaps how it led to where you are right now.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Uh, So, like most strength coaches, uh, my background starts as being a mediocre athlete. (laughs) Um, High school was a super undersized linebacker uh, and offensive lineman at one point. Because I wasn't the best of the crowd, I kind of turned to the weight room to find ways to get better. And um, that brought me to get an opportunity to play at the club level in college up at Loyola University. Uh, There's a division called NZFA, uh, and they – our club football, it's intercollegiate, just not NCAA. Uh, so I got to play three years up there and then was able, got the opportunity to play one season of semi-pro for the Lydon Lions up in Chicago. So that was basically the, the short stint of my playing career in football. Um, but that kind of progressed me into learning that like throughout all of my playing days, the thing I really enjoyed was the training and, and finding ways to make myself better to be able to perform on the field. So Undergrad, I was a personal trainer for co- in college for all four years, uh, as well as small group instructor, uh, group exercise instructor, weight room, weight room supervisor, so kind of did all the, the gym ratty stuff. And while I was there, I also got the chance to intern at the strength conditioning department within athletics. And honestly, that was more or less, uh, I heard that I could use the bumper plates and cool equipment in there if I went and intern and cleaned some plates. So I went and did that, but that was kind of my first chance of learning that, oh, I can, I can make a career out of training. So uh, I talked to them and about the time when graduation was coming up, my boss at the Recreation Center uh, knew someone down here in Orlando who was the head of the Rec Center at UCF and they were looking for a grad assistant and my boss just asked, "I know you uh, are a business major because my undergrad degree was in economics um, but just, I know you' like you're passionate about training. I've um, got a friend who's looking for a grad assistant if you want to go to grad school and uh, took a little bit to decide, but I mean, it ultimately was a no-brainer if I got to go to grad school and we'll get it paid for. So came moved down here to Orlando, um, was a strength conditioning graduate assistant over at UCF at the rec center. Um, in my time there, I worked at like a couple of CrossFit gyms. I interned at a sports performance facility off of Colonial in Orlando uh, called Spectrum Sports Performance uh, or Spectrum Inc. now, uh, not the cable company, but we have, there's plenty of stories where like people would come in with modems and try to turn their stuff in. We'd be like, do you see the barbells behind us? This is not (laughs) the cable company. So I interned there uh, while I was in school. Once I graduated with my master's um, in exercise science, I actually went up, moved up to Richmond, Virginia and interned up there uh, with their strength conditioning staff, worked with the baseball team, track, soccer, lacrosse. They didn't have football. So it was kind of all the Olympic sports. Uh, And that gave me a good exposure to some different styles of training, like conjugate system, which is those dudes with tatted up all forearms and big beards and heavyweights and chains and stuff. So got some cool exposure there. Uh, but ultimately came back down to Orlando afterwards and I uh, got a full-time position at that sports performance facility called Spectrum. Worked with athletes of all levels, whether they're kids, high school, college, and a couple of pros. But for the most part, I worked with adults there. Uh, and it was for my, my two and a half years, there was a lot of corporate wellness and moms and dads coming in the morning while their kids came in the afternoon. So I trained a lot of them. And at the end of like two years, I kind of came to the point where I wanted to try to get back to athletics and back into like the collegiate setting. So left my full-time job, left the salary on the table and went and volunteer interned with UCF football. Um, and I was lucky enough that a couple weeks in they learned that I wasn't just like a 19 year old kid who didn't know anything. I was a 24 year old guy with a master's degree and kind of had been in the field for a little bit. So they were kind enough to hand me some more responsibility. And that's kind of where I got thrown into the role of working with specialists they're really great there where they have everything is so specialized to each position group. So you have the big skills are doing their own thing. The the bigs like the linemen are doing their own thing. Skill positions like receivers and DBs are doing their own thing. And then specialists have their own programming. So it's not like in high school we're really familiar with where everyone's doing the same workout of the day kind of thing. They split it up based on position group because each position has their own needs. So uh, as an intern there, they kind of were like, Hey, we got to take on some of these bigger money positions. And so, will you go see this? Would you go take care of the specialist? And then I got to, le- got to learn just how important of a group they were. And they were a bunch of knuckleheads there at the time. And that's kind of what led me into meeting Dylan Barnes. So, uh, we hit it off while we were training together there and just got along really well. Like a lot of the same movie quotes. <laughs> um, and uh, I trained the other one really well while I was interning there. Was there the whole entire 2019 season from. May, uh, May until the bowl game and then come spring, 2020 uh, or January, 2020 Dylan kind of hit me up. It was like, Hey, I'm starting to get ready for my pro day. Uh, and so he had been doing some of the strength training that university, the university gave him, but he knew like, ultimately he would to do some specific stuff for him. So he reached out to me and I, I was happy to work with him, trying to get him ready for the, the pro day that inevitably was shut down from COVID, but we got to work together all spring. Made some some cool new records, um, got him feeling good. And then since then, it's just been about getting them jacked and strong. So that's kind of what, what's brought me here to, to be with 4th Down U.
0: You mentioned Dylan Barnes, and he's a perfect example of a kid that he earned it, just like you did. Your story you shared was amazing, and we'll get to that in a second. But Dylan started at a Division three level school coming out of Maradon High School. I'd worked with Dylan Barnes since he was 15, and every day he took it one step further you know he never looked back he did whatever it took where you know he may be shorter than most guys so he made up for it in strength uh he really did uh and it really helped his. but he he, he made up for it in strength it was going to help it was sports specific which we'll get to in, in a little bit in the show Back to you uh, and your resume, and it is impressive, but all I'm hearing is kind of what I wanted to talk about next anyway, was just how competitive today is. And I mean, today, meaning our society, I mean, there's 330 million of us just in this country, most of which, you know, you'd like to think have equal opportunity to education and most definitely have access to information online, which is readily available. So there's really no excuse, you know, and I like what you said about not being an all-state anything, you know, you said you were mediocre, and that's that's being honest. And I think most of us are mediocre. Most of us fall somewhere in the middle. We're not superstars, anything. Um, but I think attitude goes a long way. And I think resourcefulness and the sort of the underlying theme of the show has been those things. It's uh, get the hand you're dealt, and manipulate that hand, and play the hand correctly, and time it right, and it's going to be just fine. We're not born in a perfect environment, so. A lot of my clients are starting to train with you. We just formed a relationship through Dylan. I've got some college and some high school guys that have seen some amazing results in a a short amount of time. The feedback that I've gotten from these parents too, not only the athletes, but the parents are saying that the, uh, the training is is great. And it's not just great because we've had great training in the past, but we're always looking for something better. And what they like about this more than others is it's personalized and it's sports specific and sports specific in these terms in this show, you know, we're going to talk about the kickers, punters, and snappers you deal with. But as I mentioned, when I introduced you, I saw you deal with international soccer stars. Like you, you deal with a wide variety of people and and sports, but today we're going to talk about your training And what they could and should expect if they were to cross paths with you in terms of, if I want to be a better kicker, punter, and snapper, what are some things you're doing with current specialists? What are some strengths and weaknesses? So moving forward, what could they expect from a first assessment? You know, if someone that lived in the Orlando area or wanted to see you for a virtual lesson, wanted to get a first-time diagnostic from you, what would occur, generally speaking?
1: Yeah, so like you said, I, I try to make everything personalized as much as I can. You know, with the quantity of people you work with, there's going to be some overlap. Like everyone will need to do some sort of lower body exercise. I'm going to do some upper body exercises. Uh, so there's going to be overlap, but I try to make everything as custom as I can. Uh, so in order to do that, the first thing I usually do is try to get to know the athlete the best I can. So if they're, they're in the Orlando area, that's super easy. Um, I have them come by my garage gym and we'll do a full assessment. Um, if someone is not in Orlando, it's not a loss. Uh, there's plenty of guys that from 40U that I've worked with that are either farther up north or way down in Miami. So I'll I'll just do a little question and answer back and forth with them and uh, find like what their training background is, any injuries they've been dealing with, what kind of goals they have. Like they're seeing that they're they're only putting it one or two deep in the end zone and they need to be hitting further, or they're just losing consistency on field goals because they roll off their plant foot or whatever their whatever their issue is that they're looking to their goal is to improve. And then uh, from there, it's mostly like, where are you going to be training? So are you going to be at a cool sports performance place where you have a big stretch of turf and, and sleds and stuff? Or are you at a gold's gym or a 24 hour fitness? Or are you using the sandbags in your dad's garage? Like whatever, whatever you have, I have to know what you're working with. That way I can write the program for you. So, but for the guys who, who are in Orlando, usually what that is, they come in, some, some guys bring their parents, some guys come by themselves either way. Uh, I'm all good with whatever. I know parents like to see what their, where their money's going. So more than inviting, if they want to come in, grab a seat on a bench, bring out a lawn chair, <laughs> whatever they want to do, they're welcome. As long as they don't mind some loud music and, and heavy weight lifting. So, uh, usually the first day, uh, if someone's in Orlando, I'll still do that little question answer with them. Just trying to chit chat and learn where they're coming from. Um, cause the biggest thing is like, I'm not going to give a kid who's in his very first year of lifting a lot of complex stuff. It's going to be a lot of basic things, just build a foundation more than it is like highly specialized. Um, But it is still specialized to that person because that's what they need. So I usually take a look at, I'm always watching them. So like when they're warming up, I'll just observe how they're, when they get in certain stretches, like where is their hip mobility at? How comfortable are they getting all the way down on the floor? Uh, What's their hamstring flexibility look like? What's their core integrity look like when I do some different like isometric holds or planks and things like that? And then that kind of rolls into, I've got a jump mat in the garage. So that measures vertical height, vertical jump height. Uh, and I'll do some counter movement jumps and non-counter movement jumps. And the short of that is like, I'll have them do a jump with a wind up and then a jump without. Uh, what that's going to show me is that how elastic or just straight muscular strength they are. So like in a wind up jump, you have something called a stretch shortening cycle take place. And the easiest way to explain that is like when you go to the doctor and they hit your knee and your knee kicks, uh, like that kind of thing when you go through a windup, a similar, smaller level, uh, event happens similar to that where there's a stretch and then that stretch causes a contraction and it helps you jump higher. That's why you jump higher with a the windup. Then I have them do that jump without the windup. So I take out that stretch shortening cycle, which is like the elastic component of jumping. And it's just straight. How much force can your muscles produce to get you off the ground? Uh, and I kind of just look at what is the difference between those? If there's a big gap, if they're basically the same and you know, the first year guys versus the fourth year high school guys versus the college guys are all pretty different. Um, And for the most part, like at those ages, those groups of kids are about the same, but I'll look at those two. And that kind of tells me, is this kid very elastic? And that's like the bouncy kid who's pretty fast, or are they the grinder? And like, they really look like they're working when they're running. Um, They're probably really into weightlifting, uh, but they're not the fastest person. So that kind of like gives me another category to put them into. Uh, And then depending on how those tests go, and depending on their background and weight training, I'll, I'll give them some sort of lower body strength thing. Like I won't have a kid who's never lifted before do a one rep max back squat, but I might have them do uh, as many like lunges as they can until they reach failure. So they might do like something with a lighter weight and see if you can get 10 reps with it because it's going to be a little less injury prone than throwing a super heavy bar up on their spine. So depending what their background is and what they're familiar with, I'll give them some sort of lower body strength thing just so I have some numbers to them and we can measure progress. And then from there, it's usually like a pull-up or a push-up test. Cause I think that's a pretty easy way to find out how trained someone is. Um, You'll see plenty of these high school kids, especially like we talked about they come from soccer backgrounds for the most part and soccer is not very into weight training, just culturally. Um, There's plenty of stigmas that like you lift weights and you're a soccer player, you're going to get heavy and be slow on the field. When in reality, like, you don't lift weights, you're probably just going to get bodied. So, um, you'll see, I see plenty of kids come through the garage that, like, can't do 10 push-ups. And I'm like, what have you been doing? Like, you do not need a strength coach to get good at push-ups. You just hit the floor every morning before you, once you get out of bed, before you go back to bed at night. Like, you knock out 10 in the morning, you'll probably be able to do 12 at night. But you can get better at push-ups really quick, and it's absurd that people can't do 10. So, um, that's a quick little tell for me to see, like, all right, this kid has some weight room background out there knocking out 10 to 20. If they're knocking out 40 push-ups, I know like, all right, they're good to go. Um, and if they're the kid who can't do 10, I know I don't have to do anything complex. There's nothing special I need to do. They just need to get a base layer of strength. So that's kind of what the first day looks like. Um, if we get through it pretty fast and they have a good background, I might do some extra accessory stuff and test some different injury prone things. Like if, I, if they come in saying they have shin splints or knee pain or hip discomfort, I might go through some extra assessments there. Um, but if, if they're not, and that's basically what the, the base day kind of looks like.
0: Yeah. You mentioned shin splints, Jack Walker. Yeah. Who's out of Orlando. He's an athlete that we both work with. Yeah. And uh, he has expressed shin splints have, have been a recurring issue past few months. And he's a kid that's put together very well. He's very athletic, plays multiple sports. He's lean. Uh, I would say that the the goals you're gonna have for him, I would I would like to think, and we can talk about this now, is to increase mass. I think it's gonna help his kickoffs. You know, Dylan Barnes, although being short, had enough mass to produce the kickoff he needed, as far as distance and hang time. Yeah. Um, so I, I I love what you're saying. Is you're obviously and clearly personalizing it right away. You're giving them a baseline that fits them. It's conducive to how hard can I train this athlete so I then can. Also be mindful of where his limits are. Uh, You don't want to push those limits to, to injure them during training, especially Um, that's the worst. It's already, already likely they're going to get hurt playing a sport. We don't want to hurt them in training. Training's supposed to improve us. It's supposed to be supplementary. So I think that it absolutely has to be done the way you're doing it, or you're doing the athlete, you're doing the coach, that coaches that athlete a disservice. So I'm grateful for you. Um, I wrote an article earlier this month that just was published for the November, December AFCA insider edition. Um, it basically helps coaches, you know, be better coaches. It's, it's, uh, usually people like me a little outside the box or outside, you know, the offensive defensive circle, um, give them things to think about. So one of the components of the article I mentioned was I was comparing and contrasting kickers and punters, and I was drawing parallels to how they kind of are a comparison with, uh, underhanded softball pitchers and overhanded baseball pitchers, you know, a a more natural movement that we all know. We share the belief that underhanded softball is a natural movement, you know, uh, because we see these girls that can play every day. They can, they can play seven innings a day and five days a week and be unaffected. Whereas baseball players need about five days of rest. You know, these aces, they don't want to use them more than once a week if they don't have to, um, because it is in fact, over time we've seen these tommy john issues it's an unnatural aggressive movement so back to the football kicking is unnatural and aggressive in my opinion i think punting can be done a lot more often because it's a more linear softball movement it's a more natural thing so i permit i allow my athletes at all levels to do the punting more often whereas i really really limit the kickoffs because i think it's like throwing a fastball as hard as you can and, and, and the field goals should be, should be moderate. You know, it should be definitely, we should establish your limit. And I think every kid has his own, but I think every kid goes over that limit unless they're being very mindful that day that I'm only gonna hit about 15 to 20 balls, that's it. What are your thoughts on that um, that you've seen because you've dealt with enough of these specialists now? Is that is that things you talk about? Like I've noticed the adductor and the groin being the most common thing it is has a major effect on a kicker's long term performance.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I think that's a a great way to, or a great perspective to put on on kicking versus punting. It's kind of something that I just got to see a lot of at at the college level at UCF, and now I'm hearing a lot from from the guys at 40U at the high school setting. Um, and the biggest difference that I've noticed is volume of kicks. So at the college setting, it would seem like those guys were hitting a way more. Uh, aggressive volume of kicks throughout a week uh, than the high school kids are and that could just be like the not could be it usually is due to the resources that are available at high school and it's usually like you have the the special teams coordinator is usually also like the linebacker coach or something so they're they're like all right we're going to coach my position group and then when we have our special team period at the end of the end of uh practice I'll have them try and kick three field goals and then we go home. So like you maybe hit six a week or whatever at at high school versus uh, college, every single practice you're going with your kicking coach and doing your kicks uh, every single day. So I think volume is a, is a big difference. And like you said, for the most part, the, the injuries or flare ups I've, I've seen are very different from kickers to punters and usually has to do more with like that, rotational or lateral aspects that comes with kicking where you actually have to open up your hip and actually rotate to come through versus wanting coming in a more linear motion. Um, for the most part, what I've kind of been seeing with the high school kids, it's usually some sort of patellar tendon kind of flare up thing. And it, I'm not going to diagnose anything because that's not, that's not my role. But usually with young kids, you're going to start seeing things that are more patellar tendinopathy, ten, tendinosis kind of related things because of the lack of maturation for that tendon so like because you know, what research kind of points to is that like because those kids haven't matured fully and they're taking a large volume of uh, aggressive high velocity kicks uh that tendon gets lit up versus at the college setting you're going to see more patellar femoral in- issues and that's more of like an overuse kind of injury so the kinds of things that i've been kind of working with the guys with and we made that we made that post last week or maybe the year the week prior but looking at Doing some isometric strength exercises to um, to help recover from some of those flare ups, and then to help prevent them come in the future. So the big thing being that, like when you do a dynamic movement, like when you're talking about a lunge or a squat, your body's really good at finding the path of least resistance. So if you have a painful spot in your knee or a sharp kind of twinge in your knee, your body's going to find a way around that sharp pain because obviously it doesn't want to feel pain. So, but if you do an isometric hold your body's gonna have to distribute the resistance or the force throughout the entire muscle and throughout the entire tendon. So those little weak spots in the tendon are gonna get targeted and are gonna, are gonna get stronger and build durability. So for a lot of the guys I've seen, uh, we've done a lot of isometric holds to try and build up tendon and, and muscle durability, make them a little more robust. Uh, and in terms of like groin stuff, usually what I've tried to do is just incorporate a little, a little dose of it each lower body day. So not going crazy with making like groin strengthening the number one thing that we do, but it's just like, give it a touch. Every session, give it a little love. That way when you go into your kicks, it's not the first stimulus that muscle gets is a high velocity, quick contraction. It's been getting a little bit of strength training throughout. So we do some like groin pumps and side planks where your your foot's up on the bench and get groin strengthened. Um, So we include some of that kind of stuff just to help promote longevity for these guys.
0: This is fascinating. I want to (laughs) just... Re- repeat in the simplest form because you know I confide in you. You're the expert in this in this side of things, and I I just try to <laughs> I just try to deliver on on the other side of the football field. But I think it's fascinating what you said about the younger demographic. These sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, which I am grateful for, who are it's getting younger. The sport didn't really start till ninth and tenth is in terms of kicking, punting, and snapping a decade ago, and now you're starting to see a middle school group. All of a sudden come out of nowhere and say, I'm going to go play for my Pop Warner team, even though I play soccer or basketball or whatever, I'm going to go be the kicker, just the kicker. And I think that's fascinating. And I think it's I think it's nothing but good because now you have two, three years of experience prior to high school. It's only going to in the long term produce better kids quicker at 20 years old, we're gonna have some phenomenal kids in a couple of years. But that being said, uh, I think what's misleading and there's a lot of people like me, Dan Lundy in the United States that that train kickers and punters and snappers. And I think that the belief is because most of us are not like you, they don't know and have the knowledge of, hey, uh, I'm seeing a lot of this uh, patella thing going on. So although they are young and we feel like they are indestructible at that age, there's not very many injuries that occur. What I'm noticing is that this impactful, unnatural thing you guys are doing, it still puts stress on a growing body. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think just the body's still developing and you're doing when you do a high volume of anything that intense, like it's gonna, you know, flare up some different issues.
0: So we need to be mindful, even the young guys, you know, there's a couple. I know there's a couple in my city that listen to this show that are in eighth grade that I know they don't feel it as much and they wake up just fine, but uh, we've got to be mindful that we should put a cap on things. And it's also a good habit to form young, but I had another question for you. So when, when I I did ask you the other day, when we were talking about our current athletes, are you seeing some common traits and tendencies, you know, strengths, weaknesses, these athletes are showing. And uh, one of the things you said was that there's a big divide between the trained and untrained. Yeah. You know, and then you kind of elaborate on that. But could you kind of go into that a little bit, that thinking? I think it's it's definitely something we need to share.
1: Yeah. So the big difference I've been seeing is between like uh, we said, like the trained and untrained population. And for the most part, that's coming down to like the high school kids versus the college kids. Uh, and, it, and when I talk about trained versus untrained, it's mostly the, the training age of resistance training and weight room kind of stuff. So even if this kid has been kicking since middle school they haven't been in a weight room for more than a couple of years. They're probably not very familiar with it and their body's probably not very adapted to it. So, uh, for the most part, what I've been seeing with the untrained or the high school kids, it's been, they're usually pretty elastic. They're pretty bouncy. Uh, cause they're soccer kids they are used to running all day. Uh, but they're not very strong. And that's kind of what we were saying earlier in, in this podcast was that a lot of these kids like can't do 10 pushups, um, <laughs> apart from the Jack walkers of the group, um, just the studs. So, At high school, for the most part, they're pretty elastic and their, their jump heights are pretty good. But the moment you take that elasticity away, uh, they have like no base. So it's, and it's not a bad thing that they're elastic. It's, it's a good thing. They're going to be more efficient when they do these explosive movements. They're going to use less muscle and to take a little bit less overall energy to perform. They're gonna be able to repeat it more frequently because they're so, uh, dependent upon tendons and elasticity to perform them. So they, they won't fatigue as quickly, but all that means is if I can raise their base and get them stronger, then the ceiling gets raised. So we're we're picking up the floor of that that base level muscular strength, and then if you stack their elasticity on top of that, then the like sky's the limit. Um, versus these college kids, what you end up seeing is a lot of these kids have now been uh, depending on where they're at in a high, in a college weight room for three four years now, and they're either beat up from training and from like the volume of kicks that they've been doing, or they've kind of turned into this muscular kind of a kid. Uh, so, and what I mean by that is like, they're now more muscle based and they are tendon. They're a little bit more heavier on their feet. They probably heel strike when they run um, and just a little bit more sloppier and a little bit more effort behind everything versus kind of being the free fro- free flowing, effortless elastic kid. So the, the difference comes from like those high school kids. I got to do a lot more weight training. I to do a lot more isometric work and the college kids, I Usually implement a lot more sprints and jumps and kind of fast things that are similar to the fast motion of kicking. Because uh, obviously, as a kicker, you're not running 100 meters, right? You have maybe a couple steps into the kickoff. But uh, so some coaches will look at like, well, why why are you sprinting kickers? And you can ask Barnes like I had him do a bunch of silly silly sprints uh, all spring, like he's running with his arms straight out in front of him, like he's Superman, hands up in the air, hands on his hips. Like he he did a ton of weird sprinting, but he also kicked 60 yard bombs. So because the thing I'm going for is not making them better sprinters, but going for the stimulus of a high velocity um, elastic movement. And you're just not going to find that in the weight room. So for the guys who are too who are more muscle based, like the college kids, I'm going to do more elastic based things to get them more elastic. And for the kids who are more elastic, I'm going to do more strength based things. So like working on their weakness, to try and raise the ceiling.
0: Yeah, I think that what I've learned from you in all of this over the past few months, more importantly than anything, is that you mentioned that the form issues that you see, the issues in technique the or lack thereof, or why some kids can grasp the thought of parallel shoulders to the floor at the point of contact and others, they can't seem to, to, to tighten the core and, and they give their hips away. And what you've shown me over time is that It's not that they don't understand that the concept of what you're teaching It's not, it's not, they don't understand the end, the end in mind. It's, it's more of their body is screaming to me that, Hey, we can't do that yet. There are some deficiencies (laughs) going on internally that aren't allowing me to look like the kid next to me who's crushing the ball because he's got better technique. So I, you feel to avoid a major void and I'm never going to claim to to know anything that you do, but I'm, I'm learning, you know, I'm learning enough and I'm learning identifiers, especially that says I'm going to be hindered in my performance as a coach until this kid's physical body is going to enable him to do the things that I'm asking him to do.
1: Yeah, no. And you said that really well. I don't mean to, to jump on you, but I, I don't want to pass over the point you brought up. I think, I think you nailed that in that I'm not Uh, You're looking for, there's something internally that's making the kid do what they're doing. And like in the weight room for us, that's like, you can scream, keep your heels on the floor or be fast off the ground or don't heel strike. You can yell those things all day, but there's some reason the kid is doing it. And you have to find some sort of training, exercise, drill, whatever you want to do to try and make them comfortable at doing the task you want them to do. So you can, you can yell and cue things all day, but like they're doing it for a reason. You have to try and work them out of it.
0: So I wanted you to just to, to touch on a little bit more with the college guys, because that, that's a, a demographic I see right now. You know, they're all about done uh, during the bowl break. I'm going to see a few this weekend um, in the spring and then all summer long is, is our time together. But it only collectively amounts to about three months a year where I can see a college athlete. And what you mentioned to me these past few months has been eye opening is they're overworked. I'm wondering why a few of these kids from their freshman year at, let's say uh, F- university of Florida or USF or UCF uh, all the way to their maybe junior year, I'm seeing a gradual decline in, in leg strength and like action off the leg and the, in the quickness of the foot. Cause you know, that's, that's huge. We, we, we have to get leg lock at the point of contact. And when you're tired in any shape, or if, if you're not quite in the yeah. form, your knee's going to be over the ball. It's going to affect the height of the ball. That's why your ball gets blocked. There's all these negative things that come into play. Could you kind of explain to the audience what you mean by overworked and how how maybe these college athletes could take a little better control over over maybe not being overworked as much?
1: Yeah, uh, and, and that's hard to, hard to generalized but uh, it's kind of to be speculated upon for the most part that kind of thing comes from the the stereotype of football that like everything needs to be a grind and we need more is better and if we're out here for another hour every day then we got another hour closer to winning like um there's this idea of grind 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 and when you're doing these things that there are such cns demanding or central nervous system demanding movements and explosive movements and high velocity movements like you only have so many good ones in you uh and more is not always better in that kind of case and for the most part like in football stereotypically like i was saying like you people think more is better so when you go to college and you have the um when you have the tools at your disposal to actually do more they they do more Uh, and it, it doesn't end up benefiting. It ends up breaking, breaking people down more. So you're probably better off like goof around, like hacky sack, spike ball, play games and like move fast and have fun and like kick a few bombs. Uh, and then like dial it down and work on Like, like you talk about everything's 80%, um, dial it down and, and work on your, your full work or whatever, or work on the operation time of things. But you only have so many good kicks in you and you can't spend every practice hitting, 30, 40 kicks, you're going to you're gonna break down. I think that's kind of – I would assume that's kind of what's happening. I can't speak upon – like, obviously, I can't speak upon every college setting or what every school is doing, but for the guys who are beaten down and you see progress going down throughout their years, That's probably has something to do with it.
0: Yeah, that was kind of a broad question, and I agree. I think that a lot of the problem is the independent time on the field when a kicker, per se, is looking at the offense and defense – two and a half hours into a practice. They, have, they haven't stopped moving. They haven't stopped hitting. They haven't stopped running, uh, whatever they're doing. And I think that specialists feel inclined to do something. Um, not all yeah. of them. I'm you know, I'm not saying all of them, but you were around a good bunch at UCF. So you were around a, a group that I'm, I'm probably talking about. They probably felt inclined to do more work than they probably should that was good for their body because they wanted to look like they weren't just sitting there. Some kids are okay with just sitting there, but I'm not, I'm not really concerned with those kids because those kids don't last very long. I'm, I'm more concerned with educating the coaches enough to say that, Hey, uh, maybe, you know, the rest is a good thing, but maybe he doesn't have to sit on a bench. Maybe he'd go inside and do something that coach Bobby O'Mullen would refer him to. That's, you know, it's a low impact. uh, It might increase flexibility. It's something productive that doesn't overwork. So, I don't know. I think that's why I want to continue with you is um, we can make a change, you know, it's got to start somewhere and it's already started and um, we're already collaborating with kids and I'm really excited for the first time to see this first generation of kids that come through high school that train with you and me to see what they're to see what they're going to do. Yeah, you know, I think they're going to go into a college setting much more prepared on and off the field. Um, but well, I just wanted to thank you Bobby so much, you know, for joining fourth down focus today. And I always ask around this time of the show that you are going to share with the audience, how they can follow up with you. There's, there's definitely going to be some people that have some questions. Um, so you can go ahead and just share any way they can get a hold of you.
1: Sure. So, uh, first would say like, don't be afraid to reach out if you're not in the Orlando area like I was saying earlier, there's plenty of guys I work with that we'll do a little Q and A I'll send them a program. And then we just touch base once a week. And we send out like, here's four weeks of workouts. And then at the end of the four weeks, you tell me how it went and we kept kind of touch base. And then I can send you another four weeks. And that way we're not just saying like, here's your three month off season program, go get it. It's like, <laughs> we can adapt on the, on the fly. And you can tell me like, Hey, these worked out really well, or I'm not really understanding what's the point of this. Or I was at a gym, but now my gym closed down. Like Things change, so like I want to make sure we're, we're flexible. So that's why I usually do no more than four weeks at a time. So if you're not in Orlando, please still reach out. Uh, we do a lot of stuff remotely, and it's kind of new for me, but it's it's you know worked worked pretty well with COVID. Um, and we're, we're gonna like use said, play the hand we're dealt. So do whatever we can with what we're, we're given. Um, either way, if you're looking to reach out to me, kind of the best resources are going to be. Um, you can send me a message on Instagram. It's just at Bobby O'Mullen. So at B-O-B-B-Y-O-M-U-L-L-A-N. I keep it all pretty simple. Uh, My website is also just bobbyomullen.com. So B-O-B-B-Y-O-M-U-L-L-A-N.com. You can send me a message on there and that like on that website, you can click whether you want to do remote training, in-person training, and I'll get an, an email that'll say, hey, I'm so-and-so looking to do blank. Uh, we can kind of roll from there. And then the last, the third option I have is like, if you want to send me an email, uh, my email again is just bobbyomullen at gmail.com. So keeping it simple, B-O-B-B-Y-O-M-U-L-L-A-N at gmail.com, uh, no apostrophe, because apparently that's not a recognized character. <laughs> um, but yeah, those those three will work. If you want to send me a message on Instagram, uh, reach out to me through my website uh, or send me an email. And I I think other, otherwise you guys are showing up to camps. You can always ask Lundy and he'll give you my contact info and we can kind of roll from there.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And I do want to add on that. If you forget all of that, for whatever reason you're driving in the car, fourth He's got a couple spots on there too. He's under staff. Uh, All that was, that was just mentioned is under his staff uh, bio and he's also got a presence on the strength and performance under training on fourthdownu.com that leads right to his his main website. So I wanted to uh, talk to the audience and really just thank them again. I've, I've gotten some great feedback um, on our email about you know topics that they want to talk about or guests they want to have on, things related or questions related to the show, I should say. So if you do have any comments or feedback um, for continued shows, just please just keep, keep in contact with us. We are answering your questions. And uh, we'll get back to each one. Coach Bobby will be on again to talk about a very interesting topic more specifically. Um, I'm going to re- probably bring that show up in January. So I'll announce that as it gets a little closer. We're going to do a little bit of a meeting on that show to make sure it is impactful and um, it's informative. So our website is fourthdownu.com. That's 4 d o w n It has endless resources for specialists, parents of specialists, coaches of specialists, We are on social media you can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at fourth down. that's at four T H D O W N U. You can get in touch with me, Dan Lundy, personally on Facebook and LinkedIn at, at Dan space Lundy. That's L U N D Y. Thanks again for joining us at fourth down focus. We'll see you again next week. We have an exciting new guest, Lazaro Suarez, who is the founder of Bleacher. It's one of the largest football combines in the United States. Remember, In all things, give thanks, and we will see you again next time. Have a great day.